Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're picking up in uh, point number two in our current series entitled Important Prophecy Terms. And in point number two, and this is two of seven points or seven sets of terms that we're looking at and studying in some detail, looking at the Scriptures, Old and New Testaments, to help us understand the meaning of these terms and the clear distinction of these terms, because these terms are important as we look at um, really Scriptures in general, but specifically prophetic Scriptures, particularly those that look forward from where we are today uh, here in the world and looking forward to the next um, period of time that will ultimately end in what is called eternity. Uh, the world began from eternity and will end in eternity. So there's really, if you look at the scriptures, there's a 7,000-year period from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22, and then there's an eternity after that. So we will be participating in that. Uh, if we are believers in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will be participating in that eternity, living forever in glorified bodies in the presence of God the Father, the Creator God, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and all of those who uh, have been blessed by God and blessed by His Son. Uh, we will be able to participate with them. Uh, once um, the rapture takes place, which is the next prophetic event, I believe, on God's calendar, it's a signless event, we will be with him and in our glorified bodies, and we will actually be participating in a lot of activity with him for that thousand-year reign of Christ here on the earth, where we will rule and reign with him. Uh, of course, in your glorified bodies, that thousand years will be like a day, as it says in Peter. And of course, that applies to God today. It doesn't apply to us and our, our carnal um, sinful bodies, if you are our fallen bodies. But once we're in our glorified, perfected bodies, time will have no constraint, just as it has no constraint today or ever has on the triune Godhead. So it's a, um, a time to look forward to with great eagerness, as the Bible tells us. And as we've talked about here in recent programs, there's actually one of the five crowns is waiting for believers at the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ to be awarded for those who eagerly await the coming of the Lord for his bride, coming of the Lord in the air for his bride at what is called the rapture of the church. So I'm excited. But uh, our excitement is a little bit tempered here in the last few programs, if you will, because we have been looking at Old Testament uh, descriptive passages uh, involving what is called the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And if you've been following along, particularly if you have a copy of the worksheet that's available to be downloaded from the radio station website here, you can see the scriptures that we've been using. We've covered the day of Christ, the rapture. Now the day of the Lord is the judgment 
that he uh, brings upon the earth prior to his setting up of his millennial kingdom right afterwards. And we've been going through these terms and trying to point out that there is a lot of judgment. There's a lot of cruelty in the Old Testament because there's a lot of sin. There's a lot of unrepentant sin. There's a lot of idol worship. There's a lot of sticking the proverbial finger in the eye of God when the Creator God has offered eternal life to people, and they turn around and say, I don't want it. I don't like you. I don't want you. I would rather bow down and worship my carved idol or the idol that I have uh, made out of metal or whatever. Uh, Hard to believe as a Christian when you look at that, that people do that, but that's probably more common. Idol worship is more common than belief in Jesus Christ, unfortunately. So consequently, there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of judgment that deals with individual people. There's a lot of judgment that deals with individual nations. And then there is going to be a corporate global judgment. And that corporate global judgment is what is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord encompasses that. And that's what we're studying here. Because we need to be able to differentiate when we read through the scriptures, particularly uh, the the New Testament, where it's talking about Jesus Christ having been born on the earth, uh, having been raised to 30 years of age, and, in, and then being about his ministry, first to offer the gospel of the kingdom to the Israelites and through the Israelites to the world, uh, a physical kingdom on the earth. And then when Israel denied that, a period of time called the church, where the Holy Spirit comes in and permanently indwells each and every member of the church that professes Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then there's going to be a period of time when God is ready to turn his attention fully back to his wife, Israel. Therefore, he's going to take the church out of the picture in what is called the rapture, literally take them off the earth, and then he's going to turn his attention to Israel. And in a seven-year period of time, is going to judge, uh, test the earth, and then judge the earth through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about here, is this final great judgment on the earth. And I say final, I want to make sure and be clear that there is yet a universal judgment of the unbelievers uh, at the end of Christ's millennial 1,000-year kingdom, and that's called the great white throne judgment. And that's when all the believers of all time will be resurrected and stand before Christ as the judge and will be counted as unrighteous and will all be thrown into the lake of fire, which, of course, is eternal torment. It's eternal separation from the love of God. That's the final great judgment. But there are going to be a set of judgments uh, that take place on the earth for those who are living at the time of the second coming, who made it miraculously, and it it would be a miraculous thing to be able to have made it uh, with your your head, as it were, through that horrible seven-year tribulation. And even when you've made it through that and go, boy, I'm glad that's over, well, that's when Jesus judges. And most of the people, unfortunately, most of the people who made it through the seven-year tribulation will be counted as unrighteous by Jesus and will be sent to hell in preparation for standing at the great white throne judgment. So 
just a terrible set of circumstances. And I am so uh, happy that through my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I do not have to experience that. I will not see it um, until I come back with him as his wife. So we were in Ezekiel 30 when we finished up in our last program, Ezekiel chapter 30. And I just, by way of um, getting us going again, is let's go back to that last verse and then move on into Joel and through some more scriptures here as we learn more about the day of the Lord and how we can separate that from the day of Christ. So in Ezekiel chapter 30, uh, let's look at the first three verses. It says in Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 1, the word of the Lord came again to me, to Ezekiel, saying, the son of, or son of man, and there is a term son of man in lowercase referring to Ezekiel, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, wail, Alas for the day, for the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. And then it goes through and describes a lot of the, the nations and so forth and how pervasive this, this global judgment is going to be. But it's going to be a time of clouds, a time of doom. And there's a lot of descriptive terms that we find, in, particularly in the Old Testament, over 70 of them to describe this this uh, great and terrible day of the Lord. Um, so again, it's about the nation. So it's a global, corporate, uh, worldwide judgment. Now let's move from Ezekiel into our next um, verse that we see there on our worksheet, and that is moving past Ezekiel and then Daniel, and we want to move into what are called the 12 minor prophets. Now, these are minor simply because they of word count. They are chock-a-block full of prophecy. Um, in fact, Micah, uh, based on its size and word count, has more prophecy proportionally than any other book in the Bible, yet it's called a minor prophetic book. So we're going to go to Hosea, the first one, and some people might say Hoshea, but I've just been used to Hosea, uh, and I, I know what I mean <laughs> when I say that. And we want to go to Joel chapter 1. Joel's one of those amazing short, short prophetic books that's so full of prophecy about the end times. And we go to Joel chapter 1, and let's go to Joel chapter 1 and start at verse 13. Joel chapter 1 and start at verse 13, because we have to remember during this tribulation time, which is what this is talking about, the the uh, the priests have basically turned to the dark side, the priests of Israel who are supposed to be um, representing the people to God. Remember, the prophets represented God to the people, the priests represented the people to God, and here they are, corrupt. And um, Malachi uh, talks, of, in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi talks about that quite a bit. Uh, as do a lot of other books. Joel chapter 1, starting at verse 13. Let's read uh, 13, 14, and 15. Gird yourselves with sackcloth. And of course, that's automatically, you know, that's a sign of mourning. And you would hope repentance, but certainly mourning. Gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. 
for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. And remember, at the midpoint of the tribulation, according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it says that the Antichrist will allow the Jews to rebuild their temple. They will build this third temple. Remember, Solomon's temple was destroyed in 586 B.C., and that um, the Zerubbabel's temple that was greatly embellished uh, and made magnificent by King, great King Herod was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the uh, Romans. So that's the first and second temples. This is the third temple. It's not yet built. They want to build it on the Temple Mount, and unfortunately they're going to build it in, in disbelief and unbelief because they will not believe in Jesus Christ at this point. So therefore the Shekinah glory of God will not be in this third temple. It will simply be a structure. But it tells us in Daniel 9, verse 27, that the Antichrist at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation, so in, a, in other words, three and a half years after it starts, he's going to tell them to stop the sacrifice, and he is going to go into that temple and declare himself God. And that's the abomination that brings desolation that Jesus specifically references referring to Daniel in that passage in Matthew chapter 24. So this is when the grain offering and the drink offering are going to be withheld from the house. Verse 14, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. So he's pleading with them to do this. They don't do it, but Ezekiel's, or excuse me, Joel is pleading with them to do this because verse 15, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. So this is destruction from the Almighty. Remember that God used the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, and so forth to do the destruction. But this destruction is going to come from El Shaddai, God Almighty. So this is another reference, and this is now in the book of Joel. So we've been in the book of Isaiah several places. We've been in Ezekiel. We're now in Joel, and we're going to continue in Joel here as we go uh, to the next chapter. So we're in Joel chapter 1, and let's go over to Joel chapter 2, and let's look at the first two verses there. Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 1, blow a trumpet in Zion. Of course, Zion is a reference to Israel. And sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. Verse 2, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it. So there is one of those key phrases there at the end of chapter, excuse me, well, chapter 2, verse 2. There has never been anything like it before, nor will there be again after it. Well, that has been that is used uh, elsewhere in Daniel. Remember in Daniel chapter 12? It's also used in Matthew 24. These are descriptive terms for that terrible seven-year tribulation culminating in the great destruction at the second coming of Christ to judge the day of the Lord. 
Never before anything like it, never again anything like it. So it's something that Israel is told will happen to them. And so it's something that is expected. I'm sure they don't want it, but it's something that they uh, can expect will happen. Now let's stay in Joel chapter 2 and let's go down to verse 11 and see a little more um, detail. It says in verse 11 of Joel chapter 2, the Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great. For strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. And who can endure it? And who can endure it? So we see that he's coming back. And what is his army? We know the Lord is coming back with his army of angels. We know also that he's coming back with the church because we're going to rule and reign with him as his uh, eternal wife. Uh, The Bible doesn't say that the church is going to fight in this battle, but Jesus, we know he's going to start out fighting by himself. We saw that when we were in uh, Isaiah 34 and Isaiah 63, uh, when he starts out there in Basra in Edom and works his way north up to Jerusalem and and faces the armies coming out of the valley of Megiddo, where uh, we see the armies marshal at what's called Har Megiddo, and that's where we get Armageddon from. The battle doesn't actually take place at Har, at Armageddon or Har Megiddo. That's where all the armies of the Antichrist gather, and then they march on Jerusalem, and that's where Jesus and his armies uh, battle them uh, at the great battle that we actually misapply in calling it the Battle of Armageddon. It's actually the Battle of Jerusalem, if you want to be specific about it. But we see, again, these these descriptive terms about the nations, about uh, great and mighty army of the Lord, something that will ne- has never happened before and will never happen again, that uh, these are terms that you look for to make sure that you are reading a passage that does apply to this great end-time period and this end-time judgment uh, referring to the day of the Lord. Uh, because there are people that can uh, can mislead you in that regard, and that's that's unfortunate. All right, we are um, in Joel, and in our next program, we're going to uh, go to a, another minor prophet. In fact, we're going to be in the minor prophets for a few passages here, and we'll go to the book of Amos. And if you have your worksheets, you see where we're going. We'll be in Amos chapter 5 in our next program. But we want to uh, take time now, as we always do, in exploring Bible prophecy and turn to a QA and a time from um, audience listeners. And we've been dealing for quite some time now on a a, uh, question from Rich in Indian Springs that had to do with uh, how does the Holy Spirit um, function during the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation, if the church is gone. Of course, We're told that when the church goes, the reason we go is because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the restrainer of evil, the Holy Spirit, will be taken out of the way, lifted off the earth, so that the Antichrist can have full sway on the earth with all of his evil. Because when the church is taken out of the way, when the Holy Spirit is taken, the church goes with him because we're told the Holy Spirit indwells the church forever that when they're taken out of the way, there will be no righteous people. 
there will be no righteous people at that immediate point in time when the rapture takes place. If there were any righteous, they would have gone in the rapture. So hopefully, hopefully you see that because I made the statement, I believe it was in our last program, that at the moment that the millennial kingdom starts, which is right after the tribulation, there will be no unrighteous on the earth because they will have all been judged. So it's uh, two special periods of time. One where you have no righteous on the earth at the beginning of the tribulation. At the beginning of the millennial kingdom, there's no unrighteous on the earth. Of course, in both cases, that changes. And that's part of the answer to Rich's question is, yes, the Holy Spirit will continue to function on the earth in a different way during the seven-year tribulation because there will be people who come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It'll be very difficult, but they do. And we were talking about that and how the Holy Spirit works, that you have to maintain your righteousness as you did in the Old Testament, not during the church age. Remember, the Holy Spirit never leaves you. But during this tribulation period, the Holy Spirit will function as he did in the Old Testament, and you must maintain your righteousness in order to be saved. So that's why it says, he who endures to the end, the end of the tribulation, will be saved. Of course, a Christian is saved the moment you accept Christ, and you never lose that salvation. So that's an important point to make. So we were in Daniel chapter 12, where it describes how the Old Testament saints will be resurrected at the second coming of Christ. And that's actually talked about in John chapter 6, which is where we were last time. And we were in John chapter 6, verse 39 and 40. So if we would, let's go into the New Testament, go to that fourth book of the uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and go to John 6. And we went to some length in our last program to make the point that you have to ask who, what, where, when, why, and how the inductive study method to make sure you know the context of what's going on in the passage you're reading. And in this particular case, Jesus is offering the gospel of the kingdom. He has not mentioned to anyone that he has to go to Jerusalem and die because it has not been totally determined yet uh, by the apostles that Israel has turned their back on Jesus. That will happen shortly after this. But in John chapter 6, he is still offering the kingdom, and he's talking to the, the um, people here that if you believe in me as the promised Messiah, the promised king to come to you, that you will have eternal life, and that those who have died in the past, in the Old Testament, I will raise them up at the last day. And of course, we know the last day is when he judges at the end of the tribulation. Now remember, we made the point that there would be a tribulation in the first coming of Jesus if they had accepted him as their Messiah, as their king, because Israel is promised a day of the Lord. They, are, they were not promised the day of Christ. The rapture wasn't even in the picture um, because the church wasn't in the picture. The church had not been even mentioned yet. This was all a promise to Israel, and they knew that there would be a tribulation coming, and on the last day there would be a judgment, and those that were counted as righteous would be raised. And that's what he's talking about here in John chapter 6. And he mentions it in several places. Uh, so let's look again at John chapter 6, six, verses 39 and 40. It says, this is the will of him who sent me. So this is the will of God who sent Jesus. This is the will of him who sent me, 
that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Now remember, raise him up. In context here, the Hebrew word for raise up means to bring back to life. It doesn't mean to physically pick somebody up off the ground or or raise them to a higher position in society or something. The context here in verse 40 is, I will raise them up from the dead on the last day. And of course, you can look at that and say, well, he's obviously talking about the rapture of the church. Well, no, he's not talking about the rapture of the church. One, because of context, because the church is not even in view here. The church has not been suggested by Christ yet. He's talking about those who would be brought back to life as promised in the Old Testament. So this last day is not the day of the rapture, but it's the day of judgment at the end of the tribulation. Now, how can we... Kind of, you know, how do you, how can you be confident about that, Steve? Well, let's stay in the book of John. Keep your hand in John 6 because we're coming back. Go from John 6 over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And let's go to verse 48. John chapter 12, verse 48. John 12, 48 reads, He who rejects me, so he's talking about rejecting Jesus, so he's talking about an unbeliever. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. So the last day is a day of judgment and it's going to, he's talking about unbelievers in this particular case. So the last day is a day of judgment. When the day of the rapture takes place, the day of Christ, there will be no judgment for sin. There will be no judgment for unbelief. That point is very clear. That's uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 38. We're not going to go there, but it says that when Christ comes at the rapture, he will, it will be for salvation without regard to sin. But on the last day, that's what the Jews understand, is the day when Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation. So what Christ is saying, if we go back to John chapter 6, what Christ is saying here is that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. He's talking about all those people that have died in the past. The, the Old Testament saints. And we're, we're going to, uh, well, let's look at one more verse here, and then I want to take us to Hebrew in our, uh, our next program here. I want us to go to um, verse 44 of John 6. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So there it is again. I will raise him up on the last day. So we see that term used over and over again. In fact, there's a couple more here that we'll address in our next uh, Q&A, in our next program. But I also want to take us to Hebrew to show you that we are talking about the Old Testament saints being raised up here on the last day.
Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.